Hello, and welcome to an episode of Flying High with Flutter. I'm your host, Alan Waima. Today, I'm with Pavan Podila. Again, hopefully, I got that correct. If not, you can correct me. Yep. He's the creator of MobX. Uh, welcome, Pavan. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me, Alan. So uh, we were talking before the show. I mean, you have such an interesting background, right? Um, in terms of like, before you got into Flutter, you were working in web, right? Yes. And even before that, I was doing uh, desktop apps with uh, WPF. I don't know if you guys have heard of that. It's a Windows presentation framework long back you know, when Microsoft introduced it as part of their .NET uh, framework. So that's meant for building apps for Windows. Then I switched to building apps for Mac, jumped onto iOS, and then I did web, and then switched over to Flutter. So it's been like a pretty convoluted journey. What's with the story of like a lot of people go to like iOS and then Flutter? I don't know what it is. I feel like there's a lot of people that go that route. Yeah, I think see, once you taste a bit of the way iOS allows you to think in terms of the framework, in terms of the concepts and abstractions, I think Flutter just seems like a natural extension to it. I actually came from web into uh, iOS. So for me, it was pretty uh, good to see that you know, there's a lot of component-driven culture still present in UIKit. Of course, before the Swift UI got introduced. And uh, so it was an easy way for me to jump onto the platform. And then the framework itself is designed pretty nicely, right? I mean, there's a lot of imperative code in UIKit and in general Objective-C before the whole Swift revolution happened. So, uh, and uh, I think it just seems natural, right? Once you do any kind of a component-driven framework, it just seems natural to jump onto a framework like Flutter. Oh, wait, so so you did this, so did you start before or after storyboards in iOS? I started before storyboards. Oh, so before me, before me, I thought I was really old school. And... 2008, 2009 was when I built my first iOS app. So was that before or after Arc? I think it was just when Arc was released in that WWDC of June 2008 or nine, I guess, right? Uh, I think that's when I jumped on. Then I realized, yeah, I think finally we have a, a true app development platform and not this uh, web app kind of thing, which was there in the first version. Yeah, I think I started just before Arc came out. Like, I remember Arc was out for macOS. I was reading the book and learning iOS development. And then it was like, oh, we have this thing called Arc. But iOS does not have Arc yet, only supported on desktop. I was like, damn. I had to do all this release, retain, and all this kind of hard stuff. Yeah. But you said you started just before after that. Yeah, because I did it like twice. First time I did it in high in sorry, university. And that was when we you know, Arc just came out on desktop and on iOS. So I was learning about it then. Then I stopped learning and then I came back uh, when I moved to China, uh, when I actually started my real programming career and learned it. And, and that's when Storyboards came out. It was just around the same time. Yeah, Storyboard was uh, was nice. Yeah. <laughs> How do you feel? So you did this with Objective-C, you said before Swift, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, do you enjoy the square bracket syntax? Like, actually, I kind of like it, to be honest. Not really. Uh, it's a, uh, a good abstraction over C, or C++. It hides kind of the complexity of the C language, you know? Uh, and C++ as well, uh, with the whole send message bracketed out into things. Um, but I still feel it's very uh, verbose and makes you think in a very convoluted way, you know. The abstractions are not very nice as a language. It doesn't have pattern matching. It doesn't have generics. It doesn't have uh, algebraic data types, desugaring. Like a lot of the language features which we got used to in places like you know, JavaScript and, of course, uh, C Sharp when I used it, it wasn't there. So it felt like little little old and rudimentary in certain ways. I found it very interesting that you brought up pattern matching when I'm thinking about your background, right? Web, WPF, iOS, Flutter. There's no pattern matching in most of these. 
<laughs> I used to use Haskell and OCaml too. <laughs> okay, because I was curious why you pulled that one out first. I'm like, that doesn't really match up with this background because most of those languages don't have, except for F Sharp. Now, F Sharp has pattern matching, I believe, right? F Sharp has it too. Yes, yes. So I, I used to spend, I spent, I think, close to five, six years on .NET with C Sharp and F Sharp. And F Sharp, because you know, I had some background in OCaml, and F Sharp, the OCaml programmers naturally came over to F Sharp for doing certain kinds of things, you know. And uh, so that's when I picked up some of these ideas of, uh, and of course I have a background in compilers. My master's is in compilers. So I have uh, some amount of exposure to language development and language features and things like that. Now I'm kind of curious, like, have you ever implemented a language where there was pattern matching involved or no? I didn't do one with pattern matching, but I definitely created a language of my own. It's uh, it's called a language called .spec. I think there's a website for it too. It's not defunct completely. <laughs> Uh, but it's a language which kind of allows you to host other languages. So I could have a Uber language in which you can write C sharp or VB.net or F sharp, right? So it uh, it actually creates the MSIL for you automatically and does some semantic parsing and things like that. It was a master's project, as part of which I did a couple of other languages too. Ah, uh, MSI. So do you still use Windows then? Uh, no, I stopped using Windows in 2010, I think. That's when I think I switched over completely to iOS development and Mac development and web as well. So I got a Mac machine. You know, my company gave me a Mac uh, machine at the time. And uh, since then, I haven't looked back. In fact, I don't, haven't seen a Windows machine in almost 12, 15 years now. <laughs> you sound very... Well, I've seen them. I've had to use them a little bit, but sound like a lot like me. I, I haven't bought a Win... Oh, no, sorry. I did buy a Surface. Surfaces, I think, are quite nice, to be honest. It's, it's good. It's still Windows. I'm so used to Mac now. I can't imagine going back. <laughs> but the only sad thing about Mac is that you really can't play as many games as you can compared to Windows. So That's true. I'm not a avid gamer, so I play it on the phone, so it's okay. But that too, but also the other thing too is like a lot of my clients are like, how do you say that? Uh, always have Windows, right? Because it's still like the most popular OS out there. So yeah, I still have to test it on there. Like so, we yeah. For instance, like when 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 desktop support first came up for Flutter, we had to actually make it for Windows. So actually, we did all the development on a Mac, and I only pulled out my computer just to actually first I did everything on my I just checked it on my VM on my Mac. I'm using VMware Fusion, and then we just ran the installer on an actual machine at the very end. That's like the final step, and it looked okay, and then passed it over. So. It's useful for checking uh, your, your desktop apps, I guess. Yeah, I had Windows for some time because Blender did not uh, run on Mac very well. Uh, this is way back in 2012, 2015 times, you know. So I had a Windows machine just to run Blender. Uh, but I think since then, I think the Blender support also came down to Mac. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. I did hear Blender's coming out soon. It was a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah, but we're going off into another direction. But I, of course, I love this conversation. All right. Um, okay. So you did iOS and then obviously you're in a similar space, right? So how did Flutter come onto your radar? Is it like a company brought it to you, friend? You were just surfing, Hacker News? Like how did it come up? So I used to listen to a lot of Google tech talks. And I think in one of the tech talks, uh, there was something on Flutter. I think it was called something else probably at the time. Um, there was one talk where they talked about how they ported a, let's see, Chrome rendering engine to the Dart VM and chose to use Dart instead of any other language. There was some tech talk around that. And that's when I got intrigued that, okay, this is something interesting, right? You took out the 
best parts of this Kia rendering engine, which was part of the Chrome at the time. And you pulled out all the uh, other things which you don't need because CSS is forcing you to do it. But in Flutter, which is a brand new rendering engine, you don't need to do any of that stuff. So you can simplify the whole CSS model, the whole rendering engine, and so on and so forth. And I think that got me intrigued. And I'm a UI guy. You know, I, I love exploring UI frameworks, and I pretty much used everything under the sun, except for a few frameworks, maybe. Um, so I just enjoyed that talk. And then since then, I started tinkering around with Flutter once it got uh, some amount of, I think, some. It was, I think it was open source already at the time, but wasn't in a usable state. But probably around 2017 is when I started using it, uh, just tinkering around, you know, nothing, nothing fancy, just to see what it is, how do you build apps and stuff in it. And 2018, June, July is what is when I actually started using it more seriously because I felt that this was a platform that will actually help us in writing you know, cross-platform apps. And I started looking at it more seriously. And then the first thing I saw was obviously a few things which I had learned from the JavaScript side and from the other frameworks was completely missing. And I was not a big fan of Redux, by the way. So I'll just put that out. No flame wars, please. I'm not a big fan. And even when I was using JavaScript, I was using MobX only because I hated Redux. <laughs> not because the framework is bad. It's just that the framework forces you to do a lot of things which you should not be doing as a UI developer, especially all this manual wiring of things, right? Uh, so I wanted something more automatic. And I had used to, you know, I was used to it with AngularJS, but things were a little more automatic with the uh, the whole dirty checking thing happening in the background. And MobX also kind of you know, enforced good patterns where you don't explicitly subscribe or notify anything. So all those good things I wanted in Flutter as well. And that's when I think I became a little more serious about Flutter. So how, how was your feelings when you first played around with it? I mean, were you amazed? Was it just still too new or? Yeah, the only feature that got me was the hot reload. <laughs> because I was used to uh, hot reload from React and they used to call it in a HMR or something over there, right? Hot module reload HMR, right? And uh, so that was, it used to work in some places. But when I started using React Native, when I was building some of the mobile apps in React Native at the time, this HMR thing used to fail and break pretty badly, right? It was not a stateful hot reload. As in, you would create this uh, big app that had like a lot of screens. You would navigate deeply into the app to test a few things. And then you would make some changes to the UI. The screen would not reload for whatever reason. And then uh, you had to always you know, reload the whole app and again start from the whole scratch, navigate the full journey, and then come and do your testing. Right? So I didn't like that part very well about React Native. After a point, I realized uh, you know, we need something better than this. And that's when Flutter came out and I started exploring it. And Hot Reload was the only feature which I felt used to work reliably compared to anything else. You know? Everything else was something natural and I already had used to it. Like whole idea of you know, component trees and creating and extracting components and having a widget library out of the box. All of those things were good, but Hot Reload was my, was my killer feature for me. Yeah, the hardcore reload. I mean, that I think we take it for granted nowadays, right? Because we just expect it, and and I think every nearly everybody has that now. Like a lot of web frameworks, obviously, have that or something similar. They do. Um, it's part of the uh, whole stack now. Webpack or White or uh, whatever builder you use to create your apps these days. I think they have it inbuilt. Uh, sometimes it's not as reliable, um, especially in React Native apps. I don't know if it's still as reliable as it. Uh, as it is in Flutter, but I think it's there in every framework now. So that turned you on, like, did you immediately just start playing around and just kind of parked it for a while, or did you try to actually create a real app from Flutter, or 
did you just start working on Mob X or I'm just kind of curious about like what was your, your next step after kind of playing around and loving the hot code reload? Yeah. So at the time, I think we were building an internal app for the company. So I think I started playing around with uh, the basic, you know, change notifier, value notifier, the whole streams and futures and all of those things. And uh, I started using Block to build the whole state management layer. And I immediately saw a disconnect and something felt similar to what I used in Redux, right? And I had feeling that, you know, this is not something I would love to use <laughs> because I don't want to manually subscribe to anything or notify anything explicitly. Right? I would want an automatic wiring that needs to happen, just like the way it was in MobXJS, the JavaScript side of things. And I think I, of course, did build the app eventually using, you know, a block. But then on the side, I started tinkering around with uh, creating uh, the MobX Dart port. And I started speaking to Michelle, who is the actual original author of the MobX JavaScript framework. And I had worked with him in the past, so I spent some time understanding the actual code. I mean, I have been a user of MobX for a long time, and although I was a contributor, I was mostly writing docs and fixing a few things here and there. I never really went deep into the internals of MobX. And I think this was an opportunity. I think this happened sometime in uh, October of 2018, I think. And I spent some sessions with Michelle and went really deep into understanding how MobX works, including the whole notification, management of the household uh, objects, and a lot of other things, you know, which happen behind the scenes, atoms and derivations and things like that. And uh, because all of that was required, if I had to port it, I could not just take it in as is and then bring it to Dart, right? I mean, I had to understand the concepts, how it works, how it bring, uh, puts things together. And also had this constraint of the Dart language, which at the time was not as mature as it is today. Uh, so there was a few things missing, you know, like there was no null safety at all, right? At the time when I did it. And uh, I could not get a clean looking API like it was with decorators and stuff in JavaScript. So I had to use MobX code gen to build it and all of those stuff. So, so a lot of learning uh, during that three, four months uh, when I actually spent a lot of time on MobX. And I think finally I released a version, a 0.0.1 or something in uh, Jan of 2019. I did a small talk on that uh, in a Flutter meetup locally and announced uh, MobX. And I think uh, after that, I think I got a contributor from Netherlands and Finland who were actually part of the Google team also. So they saw this and they got very excited about it. And, they, and we actually spent some time uh, building out the, uh, the MobX Corgin layer, which brought in a nice API and so on. So I think the, the journey has been pretty uh, different. Uh, I mean, it was mostly a lot of learning and going deep into the Dart language, understanding the VM, understanding you know how CodeGen works and SourceGen works and builders and uh, annotation, annotations and those kind of things. Right. So I think I drifted quite far away from Flutter, and I was only doing Dart for almost three four months. I didn't even touch Flutter until then. Wait a minute. So, but you did build an app with Block before you got into this, I thought, or maybe yes. I misunderstood yeah. what you said. You're saying you're saying you were you were just using dark concepts, and before you even started touching Flutter specific things, you were doing everything in Dart only. Is that what you're trying to say? So no, so I built the internal app in Block, and that was done on the side. Uh, I completed that development process, and then I switched over to using Dart to build out MobX Dart. And MobX Dart was entirely a Dart layer code base, you know, so there was no Flutter in that. It's only until when I started building Flutter MobX, which is the the Flutter bindings for MobX. That's when I touched Flutter. So there's a three or four months period in between from October to, like, say, December, where I was only doing, you know, pure Dart, nothing else. So there was no Flutter during that time. Okay. So even right now, MobX Core is Dart only. Is that correct? Yes. Yep. 
So Mobex.dart, uh, the core package of Mobex is all Dart, pure Dart, works on all the platforms. Um, Flutter Mobex works again on all the platforms, but it's the Flutter binding for Mobex. So it has the observer, basically, which will react and re-render the widget whenever the observables within the Mobex change. Okay, that's interesting. It's funny because it's marked as a Flutter favorite, although you're saying that it is basically pure Dart only. Yeah, so the Flutter Mobex is Flutter favorite. I think the Flutter favorite thing comes because these all have to go together. See, although you can build and use Mobex as a CLI app, I mean, if you're building a Dart CLI, you can still use Mobex. But the general usage of Mobex is with Flutter. So Flutter Mobex and Mobex are like the most popular packages, and then they go hand in hand. And uh, normally would use them together also for most of their apps. So I think hence the Flutter favorite thing, I guess. Well, I think like basically my understanding now is like Flutter and Dart are like not really separable in terms of Dart being one project and Flutter being another project. Like because whenever a new version of Flutter is out, they'll bring out the new version of Dart. They'll never release Dart by itself as a new version. That's what I've noticed. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's what I always see is like when new Flutter comes out, then new Dart comes out. They're really stuck together now. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, it's only because I think the Flutter is the probably the biggest consumer of Dart as a language, right? I mean, you don't see server-side framework. You don't see microservices being built in Dart. Although you can, it's not a popular way of building microservices or any server-side code, right? So Flutter kind of uh, uh, helps you the evolution of the Dart language. And so when Flutter evolves, Dart naturally evolves with it because it has to include certain features which makes Flutter a more ergonomic API or something. I don't know. Right. So I think the evolution is kind of tied together at this point. But at some point, I think when Flutter matures enough, I think Dart can probably do things which are well beyond a UI framework. Yeah, this is true. But I thought um, Google has a lot of stuff built in Dart only, no? Yeah, they do. Uh, in fact, I think Angular used to use a Dart VM. There was an Angular Dart also, right? Uh, I don't know if it's still there or not. They just, they just closed it, I believe, uh, about half a year ago or so. Okay. Yeah, and uh, I think the Dart VM is still an independent project. So I'm not sure how Dart is used besides Flutter. I've seen some people build microservices. They build some CLI tools and stuff with it. Um, but outside of that, I think the usage of Dart is fairly limited. It's not like Rust, you know, where it's everywhere on the server, right? Um, and you even create Rust as a UI framework these days. People are building React bindings to Rust using Tauri. I don't know if you've heard of that. But there's a framework called Tauri, which has Rust in the background and React in the front end. So what's called Tauri? Oh, Tauri. Okay, yeah, yeah, I know Tauri. I, I talked to the uh, at least one of the creators of Tauri. Um, so I, I'm very familiar with it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Although at some point, I think it should be Flutter and Rust. That's like the ultimate combination. <laughs> well, supposedly, I mean, you could use whatever you want for the front end, as long as it's web, something like that. That's kind of what he he, he said when I talked okay. with him. I told him already, I'm not very happy with it because I feel weird because like, I, I'm sure you also know like these, like Ionic, right? When you have an Ionic app, you know it's Ionic because you can feel it. It's yeah. always bloated and it just does not look as nice as like Flutter or native app. Yeah. I think at some point, Flutter should become like the de facto UI platform, right? I mean, there's nothing better than Flutter. I mean, you can use React Native. It's the closest you can get. But you have some disadvantages like, you know, a JavaScript as a language, which is not very type safe, right? And uh, you don't get hot reload probably as reliable, as reliably as uh, Flutter. And then you don't have the complete widget library, the whole uh, abstractions of render trees and things like that, you know, which is there in Flutter. 
the way you get a very native looking, natively behaving app in Flutter. I don't think you get the same in React Native though. You you have to do a lot of uh, native bridge related work in order to make it look more native. Oh, Mike Mike is uh, Mike is talking in the live chat saying it's nice to see you, Mike Redstrom. Ah, yes, a good friend. <laughs> I, I would suppose so. He because uh, he's he's said nice to see you on here, so it must be a good friend of yours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A very popular project that's using Dart is uh, Sassy CSS. I think you must know them, right? Ah, okay. That's for the uh, SCSS support, right? Yeah, so they used to use C, C++, and then they switched over to Dart. And I remember at the time, I was like, what the heck is Dart, and why the hell would you want to use that? Because <laughs> it was way before Flutter, if I remember correctly. It was a long time ago yep. that they flipped over to Dart. Nice. I think the reason was that they could they could write both a native code and also with a JavaScript. I think that was part of the reasoning why they flipped over to, to Dart. And Dart has fantastic FF, FFI support also, right? So you can still continue using yeah. a core native C, C library for you know, whatever reason. Yeah, it's kind of like, I don't know, there's not that many languages I can think of, except for, well, back then, there wasn't that many languages, but now there's more and more languages which are similar to Dart in the fact that you can have a, uh, an interpreter, and then you can also compile it to native code. Like, I know a big one now is Kotlin can do that. I think, yep. um, what's it called? Uh, Swift You Swift can also do that too now, I think. Swift can do FFI, but I think Swift is very limited to Apple platforms. But, I mean, you can use Swift on the server, but I think it, the, generally the people's consensus is that Swift is limited to Apple platforms, right? You don't see Swift used in non-Apple ecosystems. Unlike like Rust, for example, right? Rust is used everywhere. It's even in Linux. <laughs> but uh, Swift is only limited to you know, certain Apple ecosystem frameworks. So related back to the comment I think we we're talking about before, Mike says that new Dart releases come together with Flutter. It's just a convenience. Uh, he put in quotes sync. It was not like that earlier. It does not have to be just a choice Google made later. So yeah. that's what I had a feeling of. Yeah, and like you said, it's probably because of the popularity of Flutter and, and uh, Dart, which makes sense. I mean, I would love Dart to evolve in a way which brings it closer to functional languages like OCaml or Haskell or even Rust. You know. If you get pattern matching, if you can get desugaring, if you can get algebraic data types, and if you can get DSLs like Kotlin, I think we have an ultimate language. The holy grail of language development is done. <laughs> you have everything that the current modern language development offers you know, in any language. Yeah, but you, you can't have everything that you want. It must be trade-offs for all these things, but I agree with most of what you're saying. Hot reload is the one, I guess. It's already a big one, but actually the weird thing too is like it's built into the language, but I it's not easy to turn on the hot code reload. Am I understand Flutter has its own thing? E, well, that's just a Dart VM thing, right? The hot reload is purely a Dart VM. So Flutter is just taking benefit of that because a lot of the Flutter framework is actually built in Dart, right? Except for the engine, which is all C++. So you don't really touch the C++ part because that is not changing when you reload your code. What's changing is just the Dart files. And that's just a pure VM-related thing, which anyway, Flutter can reload and your code is also being Dart can be reloaded. So I don't see... Uh, that getting impacted because of that. But the Dart VM thing could be a limitation when you want to do certain language enhancements. If you can't still do what you used to do before, it's a big deterrent, right? So I'm not sure about... Uh, see, generics took some time to evolve into a very powerful ecosystem. Right? I mean, generics limit was only limited to functions previously, and now we have everywhere. right? So I think similar things might come to Dart language, but I think it will take some time just to make sure you know, the rest of the ecosystem continues to work as is. Mike just remarked also that Dart language development is moving forward. And I agree with that too, that I feel like they're pushing out stuff more. 
they're tweeting a little, little bit more on Twitter, Twitter about what's going on. I personally like languages a lot. I mean, I explore languages just for the sake of seeing what features they have, which is why, you know, Kotlin, Swift, Rust, Dart, OCaml, Haskell, and all of these languages, I mean, it's just some exposure to only for that reason, just to see how else can you write some piece of code, you know, where you have different language features enabled. I think Kotlin probably has the right combination. It's still missing algebraic data types. Uh, but I think once you have that, it's going to be a pretty powerful language. Yeah, but have you ever taken a look at KMM yet? Yeah, I did a little bit. It's very slow, though. I mean, whatever experiments I did with it, uh, I found it to be excessively slow. The whole compile time, refreshing your UI, just takes way too much time, you know. After using Hot Reload, it just feels like ages <laughs> waiting for something to load on the screen. Well, that's that's interesting because I feel like everybody who I've seen talk about Kotlin and KMM have said good things about it. But the part that I don't understand is like, in the end, you still have to build each UI separately. Yeah. Which is the weird part to me. Right. I think so there's a project for Kotlin and Flutter called Clutter. I don't know if you've seen that. <laughs> it allows you to build plugins using KMM and embed that as a native module, both in iOS and Android, so that you don't develop twice, right? You write the plugin only once. So if you have a native plugin, let's say you want to interface with Bluetooth. And let's assume that there was never any plugin for Bluetooth in Flutter. The way you would normally do it is you would write a native module in Android, then you would write a native module in iOS. With KMM, you can write the native module only once, right? So you write it in Kotlin, and then you create a iOS version and Android version through the build process. And then once you have those two separate modules, you include that with your Flutter plugin and make it available to the Flutter ecosystem. Right, so you're kind of saving work on the native module development side through KMM. I think that's a good use case, and which is why these projects like Clutter, right, which is Flutter plus Kotlin, you know, are going to become popular at some point. I mean, they are popular. I mean, I think they're more popular with developers who have a strong Android background, because I mean, Kotlin is a pretty decent language. I mean, it's one of the languages that came out. I'm trying to remember. Like, I think. Did Kotlin come out before Swift? I think so. I'm not too sure. Kotlin. See, Kotlin came out in 2012, I guess, if I'm not mistaken. I can search and find out. I'm not too sure. But they came out around the same time, but one definitely came a little bit before the other. And I think one of the nice parts about Kotlin was that no safety that came out of the box. Same with Swift. And I think that was became huge because Java was such a pain. And then I think because Google had their problems with Oracle, that they were like, you know what? We recommend Kotlin. And Kotlin is, I think, a much better language than Java. It's less verbose and stuff. Absolutely. Uh, Kotlin came out in 2016, by the way, which is much later. Now, now how about Swift? Do you know? Swift came out in 2015, I think. So Swift came out first then, sounds like. 2014, actually. But 2015 was when it was like the more, more mature and stable you know, compared to 2014 version. Yeah, I remember when Swift came out, and it was like, for iOS, you couldn't do a lot of things with it. They were still kind of adding APIs or something. It was very weird. Yeah, yeah, it had all kinds of issues. You know, we used to interface Object to C in Swift, and it used to fail in weird ways. Sometimes the binary would fail, actually, even though it would work in developer mode. <laughs> okay, we're always tripping off topic, right? So maybe let's go back to <laughs> to, to MobX. All right, yeah. so you released MobX. Were you intending this to only use this in Flutter, or were you thinking that people could use this everywhere? I mean, I'm guessing you thought people could just use it everywhere, and then you could just let people do whatever they want with it, right? Yeah. See, at the time, I was talking to uh, Chris uh, Sells, who used to be the program manager on Flutter. 
And he hinted at some point that uh, Flutter will grow multi-platform, right? So iOS, Android are not going to be the only platforms. So it will be Linux and desktop and web and all that. So, and I, as soon as he mentioned web, I saw that if you could write MobX start only once and have it available on all the platforms, why would you even need MobX.js, right? There would be only one implementation of MobX across all platforms, which will be awesome. And that, that was a big motivation for me to kind of, you know, write MobX again in a type-safe language and have it available on all the platforms naturally because of the language being available on all the platforms and the tooling being there. Right? So it was a big uh, motivation, motivator for me. And also Dart as a language felt fairly simple. Like when I started in 2018, Dart was a fairly simple language, not as uh, sophisticated in certain ways like other languages. And it was an easy adoption, adoption target for me. Right? Like it was very easy for me to kind of build the basic abstractions of MobX there were a few areas like MobX Cogen where MobX Cogen was required, like annotation was not a runtime feature. It was purely a design time only feature, right? So those were the areas where I had to kind of do some extra work. But it just felt like a language where I could do things far more easily and quickly. Now that you've been working around with Dart, like, do you feel that you would want to write stuff in JavaScript using Dart? Or do you feel like you'd rather keep working with JavaScript for JavaScript and Dart for Flutter and Dart projects? So, so when I do JavaScript, I don't use JavaScript. I use TypeScript. Although it's not the same, you know, it's just uh, it's like an illusion that you have type system. But it's at least better than you know using core JavaScript types, where you don't know what the hell you're doing, right? So I use TypeScript for that whenever you do JavaScript project. But I think I off late I spend more time doing Dart projects and less of uh, TypeScript projects, and so I like that. I like to be in the TypeScript world as much as possible. Because what ends up happening is if you use a dynamic language, a lot of your unit tests are a replication of the type system. You're checking that you're actually getting a type of number or a string or date or whatever, right? And then going forward with the rest of the code. So a lot of the precondition checks that you do in JavaScript is just to ensure that you're using the right types. And that is unnecessary if you're using a type-safe language, right? So you can skip a, a large portion of your unit testing uh, code if you just use type safety. So I'm a big proponent of type safety wherever I go. If I don't see type safety, then I become pretty sore. <laughs> and then I'm pedantic about it in some ways. Do you actually run unit tests for your, your types when you have like a dynamic language? You have to because uh, let's say you're writing a very sensitive pricing engine, right? Uh, not that you actually write one in JavaScript. There are better languages for that. But let's say you're writing some validation code on the front end which is you know, testing certain trades and certain amounts that you're putting in. If that validation logic has to be tested and unit tested, you have to ensure that your decimal places are only up to three, right? which means you have to check that it is a number. You have to check that you're actually translating from a string to a number because when you enter in a text box, it's all a string, right? Even though it looks like a number, it's actually a, a string. And when you're doing regex parsing and other things, you're translating from string into a number. So there's a lot of for type safety related uh, checks that you have to do just to ensure that your logic is sound. And I think that eats up quite a bit of code you know, in the unit testing layer. Okay, that's that's interesting because I don't think I've ever checked that. But that could be because like I've changed a lot of the ways I program since I started using Elixir in the back end where I just kind of let stuff break. <laughs> then I'll <laughs> fix it later when I see it's a problem. You should try Rust. You'll never ever have runtime exceptions with Rust. Oh no no no! I I do do Rust also. Right. Oh okay. Fantastic. So it's yeah. I, I love. I think they're they're different, right? Like, if I'm going to do a web service, I usually I do it in Elixir, 
if I'm going to be doing something that has to be fast and efficient, then of course I go for Rust because Rust takes a while to write. Right, that's true. Right. I mean, any type language usually takes a little bit longer, but Rust takes excessively longer because you have to handle all the cases and yep. and everything else. And and I think because you're also in the languages like me, right? Have you taken a look at Elm? I'm sure you have, right? I did. Uh, Elm was a natural one for me because I used to use Haskell at some point. And so Elm is actually derived from Haskell, right? And it's Haskell in JavaScript, right? So um, it's, it's a good uh, framework. But I think for some reason it didn't become as popular as it should have been. Right? I mean, it was, there was a period during which Elm was like all over the place on the web. And then suddenly it dropped. I don't know what happened over there. I don't know. It's a good question. Uh, it's, it's kind of weird too, because if I remember correctly, I heard that Elm kind of inspired some of React stuff, something like that. I, I don't know. I know they always compare yeah. the performance at least, and it's always much faster. But you, you need to remember too that Elm is Elm and Rust share the same problem. They're very annoying at the beginning <laughs> because you have to handle every single problem and it becomes a pain. Yep. Until you surrender and then you start to love it. It's kind of like this love-hate relationship and then it's love at the end. Yeah, yeah. See, that's true for any type-safe language. See, if you come from JavaScript where things are all freeform, right? And suddenly I put into a box where you have to behave and respect the box constraints. Like, and everything has to be within the guardrails of the language. It feels restrictive in the beginning, but that restriction comes with the added advantage of you not having to second guess what will happen at runtime. Right, so you're trading one thing for something else, and I think it's a good trade-off. Because ultimately, software has to be reliable. It can't be something that just crashes on your face. I mean, and, uh, there's a lot of these memes floating around on the internet, right, where the display dashboard in an airport suddenly has null or an undefined in one of the rows, <laughs> which shows the uh, thing, right? So you don't want such kind of a situation with these things. I was also thinking, and I forgot to mention this a while back, when we we're having conversations about Apple, the the Swift is only on Apple platforms, etc. A kind of a weird language that's actually on a lot more platforms is like C Sharp because it's like it was only on .NET and then now it's like Unity, which is not necessarily .NET. Uh, I've seen a lot of video game languages. For some reason, C Sharp became very big in video games and I'm not too sure why that is. See, in the gaming world, Lua was the reigning scripting language, right? I mean, for a very long time because Lua was simple. It is, uh, I think, I'm not sure if it's type safe, but I think it was a fairly simple language, very rudimentary, right? And it was good to embed it inside a gaming engine because the runtime footprint was very small. But over time, as we started shipping in a larger and larger app payloads and larger binaries for everything, it became natural for .NET to become one of the frameworks because Mono, which was the open source version of .NET, uh, got a lot of love from Microsoft. And then I think the guy who used to work on Mono started working at Microsoft and the whole thing became like a you know Microsoft thing at some point, right? So Microsoft became like a, an official supporter of .NET for Linux and other Unix platforms. And I think that's where it uh, took off. And by that time, I think Unix had already, so not Unix, sorry, Unity had already adopted Mono as a platform because the whole scripting layer was built in Mono, right? And Unity itself was built in Mono. Uh, so it just became natural for them to use C Sharp. And if anything becomes popular, the entire tooling that goes around with that particular framework or a platform becomes popular. So C-sharp becomes popular and Unity becomes popular, right? So all your game developers start learning C-sharp and so on. So it becomes like a side effect of something becoming popular. And uh, I think that's a good thing. C-sharp should be, uh, any type safe language should be used in a scripting world because it just gives you better guardrails and uh, better support too. I'm not sure how much dynamic dynamism that C-sharp has in terms of you know doing things 
just like you have dynamic in dart right i'm not sure how much of dynamic stuff you can do in c sharp i haven't done c sharp in a while so i'm sure that's also there now c sharp is also changing a lot uh, it's changed a lot from when i mean it used to be like a clone of java right and now it's really its own language and it's all kinds of craziness in there now everything i don't know if it has dsls though like kotlin uh, so the only thing I would look for in any mature language. I'm not too sure, but yeah. Back to Mobex. We keep going off into <laughs> languages, you know. I mean, you and I have got too much in common about languages that we love them too much. Yeah, yeah. I would like to ask you about, are you like one-for-one one feature parity with the JavaScript version of Mobex? I would say yes. Uh, there are probably few APIs where I may not have the exact same API in Dart. For uh, I think the first year we were a little behind. But I think after 2020, we caught up pretty much on everything, right? So just to kind of, you know, go through the complete list, we have support for the core scalar type, like your observables, which could be for numbers, strings, dates, and all the scalar types in general. We also have support for streams, futures, lists, maps. And that's pretty much covers every data structure that you can imagine in a programming language, right? So we have support for pretty much everything now. So I would say yes, yeah, 99%. I'll just leave 1% for the unknowns. So it's kind of like the you don't know what you don't know kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Because JavaScript is a dynamic language, right? So it it gives you enough to kill yourself. <laughs> so I'm not allowing you to do that. So that's the part which is under the 1%. Now, is there anything that's like, if I, so let's say I have an app that's in uh, MobX and React and I want to port it over to Flutter, like, is there anything that I should know? Because like you said before, there's obviously some differences between JavaScript and Dart. So is there something that I need to keep in mind? Like maybe I can't do this thing, but I can do something similar or I need to think of another way to handle it, this kind of stuff. What are like the, I guess it could be constraints, right? Constraints and watchouts, et cetera. See, the language forces a certain API style, right? If you look at JavaScript, you know, it's very decorator heavy. And uh, although the newer versions of MobX allow you to not use decorators and instead use auto-observables, which are basically a constructor-led API, which will automatically take all of your fields and convert them into observables. Again, it's happening because JavaScript itself is dynamic, right? So it can actually read your own code to modify them to do something else. When you come to the Dart side, things are not so dynamic. So you have to explicitly type those uh, different uh, data structures, like observables, actions, reactions you have to explicitly use them and previously the syntax to use those things was little verbose you have to write extra two or three lines to kind of get it done but with now with the introduction of the late modifier in dart you can actually type those things in line i can actually create a late action a late reaction and so on i think it simplifies a few things in certain ways in fact i don't use the code gen anymore for all of my projects because code gen also used to take a long time for me to build especially for very large projects once you start having like hundreds and thousands of Dart files which need to be converted, the code gen becomes very slow, right? The build runner becomes pretty slow in, in its uh, generator, generation process. So we switched to using you know, plain old observables. You create them in code, even though it looks a little longer, it's still better because I don't have to wait for any build runner to run on the side. And no you know, .g files you know, littering all over my code base. So I would recommend that moving forward. To start using MobX in its raw form, in its raw APIs, and not worry too much about the code chain. And just to add to that also, I think at some point, Dart is going to get metaprogramming, which means those annotations would become real runtime annotations, right? 
at which point i think it will be just natural for us to do things i don't have to run any separate build process to get that behavior i would just get it out of the box for any dart program yeah that's what i keep hearing like uh, i talked to remy and talk about freeze and he said soon freeze will not need any build runner <laughs> i'm still waiting for that day cuz we are using freeze for for some of our stuff so it'd be fun to have very soon yeah i'm just waiting for that day and uh, that should be the day when things will become really simple and root almost look one to one with javascript in terms of you know overall api and syntax ergonomics now is there any like upcoming changes coming to mobx that people should know about like are you going to actually remove code generation and just let people make people do you know the observable method as you mentioned or like you know is there anything like that that we should be keeping a, a lookout for so i wouldn't say it's a feature wise we are very complete in terms of uh, what we have in mobx javascript side i think what we need to now focus on are the developer tooling right so i think having more some support in the flutter tools to kind of show mobx data structures and when mobx is reacting so we added support for that with spy which allows you to see what happens inside the reactive system of mobx so whenever an action gets executed or a reaction gets tr- triggered or when your observables change there's a spy api which allows you to see what is happening inside the mobx ecosystem uh but would would be great to see that actually on a dev tool so that you know things appear much more visual uh i would love to get contributors who can help me out you know working on it um we are also refining the api itself to become little more comprehensive as an example uh, the equality compare right so there are certain places in the mobx api where you need to compare two objects just to check whether i should fire a notification if the value has changed the notification go out automatically if the value hasn't changed you don't send a notification now to check that the value is the same you need an equality comparer so there were parts of the code which used to do the default equal to equal to comparison right it's a, it's a traditional dart comparison so we replaced that with an equality comparer so if you have like a custom data structure or a custom structure that you like to compare and use multiple fields to see if things are equal in terms of their semantics you can supply that now so that happens for streams futures lists maps and of course for the core observables too and i think that will making things a little more comprehensive but i would say otherwise uh, feature wise we are very complete there is nothing to worry we have done a lot of performance tests and i think there are big apps out in the market which are using it i know there are at least 45 to 50 startups using mobx as their primary language and sorry framework for building the apps and if you heard of supernova which is a design system right uh, built again in flutter and mobx and mobx is sitting at the core There are a lot of startup apps in the, in India which are using Mobex at their core for all of the state management and uh, other things. So it's fairly mature, stable, and I would love to use the word battle tested, but uh, maybe not. <laughs> but it is at that level of maturity where you can just forget the fact, you know, how it behaves. It just works always. Okay, and I think I have one final question about Mobex. I'm curious about like because I'm guessing all new features coming to you know Mobex ecosystem, I'll call it. probably go first to javascript and then you guys will port it over is that is that correct is that how it usually goes yeah see we are bringing everything from javascript into dart because there are certain things which you simply can't do because of the dynamism that is required to build that feature so as an example uh, there is a concept of a flow where you can actually have a sequence of async actions uh, be performed in uh, the mobix javascript side so we haven't brought that over here just because we don't need it right it's very easy to write a bunch of awaits on futures or pass an array of futures and get it done there's no reason to explicitly add an api around it 
So we are pretty cautious. We want to keep the surface as simple and uh, as lean as possible. Uh, so we're bringing in only when we think there is a true value add in adding that feature or an API to MobX. I think at this point, we're fairly complete. If you had asked me this question in 2020, I would have said, yeah, there are a lot of things to improve here and there. This is the thing, X, Y, Z, bunch of things to do and so on. But now I think we are in a state where if you notice the MobX repository, you know, there's not much core changes happening almost for a year now, right? It's uh, been pretty stable that way. Well, the reason I ask is because I'm sure MobX will be adding more features or moving things or whatever. MobX, you know, JavaScript side. So like, is there like a discussion between, you know, you representing the Flutter side or the Flutter Dart side ah, saying, okay. you know, this kind of stuff. Yeah, like how does the trickle-down kind of work? Because I'm guessing that it gets developed in in in, Dart, in 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 sorry in JavaScript, maybe even kind of like iterated on before it's kind of saying okay this is perfect, and then you say okay now it's time to bring over to to Dart. Or is there any of these kind of things happening? Yeah, so I would say these projects are fairly independent now. Although the MobX Dart repository is hosted under MobX JS only, so that people know that that a Dart port exists. Projects themselves are fairly independent and don't really talk to each other. There was some crosstalk in the beginning, but I think now we're just so busy with our day-to-day -day lives and other things. There's not much of uh, cross-pollination of ideas happening. And I think the MobX.js as a repository also is fairly mature. There's a lot of work happening on API, convenience APIs and documentation and so on. At the core, I think things are not changing probably as much. Okay, that's that's interesting to hear. Okay, I didn't even know it was actually underneath there, but that, that makes some sense. So it's kind of like a marketing thing. We're putting your the dark one right there. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. That's cool. I don't think I have anything else. Like you said, I think you already have so like some things that you want to say, right? You're you're looking for contributors now. That's what I just heard. Yeah, I think uh, we added about uh, sixty contributors in the last uh, one or two years, and uh, there are some really good ones, uh, good contributors out there, you know, who are poking things at the core and trying to you know, fix things add more unit tests, you know, simplify, improve performance in certain areas. So we have some uh, good sort of contributors you know, who do this. And a lot of times, I think I do the final pull into the main and build and publish because the the Dart publisher is against my name, against my uh, domain, right? So I have to actually do the publishing in some cases. But even that has been automated through GitHub Actions. So it's not really any, there's no manual work anymore as such in the whole publishing process. But it still requires me to merge certain things to the main branch just to trigger the whole workflow over there. But I would love to get contributors who can understand the code at a deeper level. Uh, it takes some time, but once you learn it, you see nice patterns of writing Dart and learning you know, certain things about reactivity and creating something called as a transparent functional reactive programming. That's the TFRP field that I'm giving you about MobX, right? There's a lot of good things to learn over there. So if you guys, if anyone out there is interested in learning these concepts, learning how it's implemented in Dart and see how it can be done to you know, simplify your whole programming process in creating UI apps and apps in general using reactivity as its core, I think it will be a good place to you know, contribute. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your, your time today. I know that you're, I believe you said you're, you're on watch or on, on duty or on call, right? On standby. <laughs> on standby, right? So maybe make sure that you're ready to click that submit button to Apple and uh, wait for 48 hours for them to come back to you in case something bad happens. So definitely. Uh, thank you again for for coming on. Uh, we might have you back on again to talk about current state of MobX later on. Oh, absolutely, love to. All right, thank you so much for coming. <laughs>